Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Today we are talking with Taylor Hux, and we're talking about math anxiety, what some of these anxieties might look like with your students, and the importance that language plays in combating some of these math anxieties in your classroom. Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Uh, today we're talking with Taylor Hux, and we are talking about math anxiety. Um, Taylor is somebody I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while um, to talk about this concept of math anxiety because I think it's a I think it's something that affects more kids than we're probably willing to admit Um, and I'm somebody that you know growing up I loved math Um, so to kind of hear the other side of the coin of this is something that I'm I'm really excited about Um, you know but before we get too deep into this process of you know, spotting some of the signs of math anxiety or, you know, how you can kind of help some of your students work through this, Taylor. Um, I'm curious from your perspective, um, what does math anxiety mean? I was that kid at one point because I had that fear of failure. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to raise my hand. The answer is not going to be right. And then, you know, all the horrible situations that could happen come into your head. Like, everybody's going to laugh at me. The teacher is going to say, no, you're absolutely wrong. Get out of my class. (laughs) Um, Which, of course, none of that happens. But that fear of failure becomes really evident when you pose a question to the whole class. And you have these, like, handful or oftentimes it's maybe the majority of the class that just doesn't raise their hand consistently. Um, And just seeing that they don't want to take that leap of faith is kind of the first sign. And, you know, while you're kind of walking me through that, I just, you know, quickly Google search anxiety and it's a fear or dread of uneasiness. Um, you know, if I had to guess, I would say fear, dread, and uneasiness is probably how students would describe working on a math problem if they are, you know, kind of working through this math anxiety issues. Yeah. They, lots of times it's like, you see them almost like clam up when you ask them to do a math problem and you see that fear become visible. And we like, it's, it's very hard to bring that out of them and like have them think because you know, they're young at this Mm -hmm. age. It's hard to see their thinking um, because they're just like, Oh, I counted on my fingers, but I'm like, put it on paper. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard to get that, to come out of them and to see that. And I don't know how it is in like upper elementary. I don't know if it's, if it kind of transforms into something that they really try to keep inside because they are able to share their thinking, but it's, you know, they're still combating that anxiety. So I definitely, I've seen that fear and I, I would agree with that um, definition. It's, it's a lot of fear that I've seen. So one of the things I think that's interesting with anxieties um, and when it comes to trying to identify these in the classroom is I, I'm terrified of snakes. Um, if I see a snake, the first thing I'm going to do is take off running. Um, you know, I'm, when I see a snake, I'm instantly thinking mentally of every snake can strike a third of its body length. Every snake can swim and climb trees. There's nowhere to escape. They're the perfect predator. Um, but when you're standing in front of a classroom and you know, you're, you're putting a math question on the board or you're handing out math homework, you're not seeing kids take off running in fear or screaming, you know, kind of the same way I do when I see a snake in the yard. So 
as a teacher, how are you identifying these math anxieties in the classroom? You know, what do they look like? And really, how do you start identifying students that might be struggling with this topic? Yeah, it's, um, it's true. You don't see it. It doesn't make itself evident. And they probably do everything that they can to not make their math anxiety evident to you as the teacher. Um, I think one of the biggest things is when you are up teaching a lesson and you ask a question and you see the same handful of hands go up, you know that they are comfortable and confident in what they're going to say. And then you have maybe the majority or maybe half of the class who consistently does not raise their hands. You know, taking that a step further, um, you're starting to notice, you know, X number of kids are not raising their hands. Um, and you start to, you know, start to identify these students as they might have some, some math anxieties or some worriness when it comes to the subject. Taking that a step further, um, you know, because, you know, like I said, I, I was shy when I was that age too, so I wasn't raising my hand even if I thought I knew the answer. Outside of not raising your hands, is this a more, are you relying on the students to come to you with this? Or are there other things that you can identify in the classroom as a whole when it comes to math anxiety? Yeah, it is. I think, I'm, I think this is something I've learned this year is that kids often won't come to you for this. They won't hmm. be like, I'm scared. Like, I don't know what to do lots of times you have to approach them about it and seeing them like they, yeah, you can see it on paper too. You can see fear of failure on paper too. They'll go with what they know. They'll use a strategy that they know. And I mm. encourage that a lot in our classroom when we're trying something new, for example, the number line, I'll be like, this is, you know, some of you may not be there yet and that's okay. We're getting there use something that you know, use a strategy that you know to check your work. And so lots of times if we're to the point where we've been practicing in a lot and they're still going back to what they know, that fear of failure, that uncertainty, that's a big red flag for me um, to just that I need to hone in on them and I need to take some time to go one-on-one -on -one with them. And then also I think it kind of, gives a little bit of insight to you as the teacher as to what they have heard about math mm. and what people have told them about math. Because at that age, you have soaked up so much of what other people have said. And especially around math, because at, at that age, math is just seems like this big, scary monster to most, I'm sure. It's easy to soak up and hear what other people say about math, what they say about it, and what they say about how you do math. So when you say they're soaking up things that they've heard other people say, are you, are you referencing that they're just regurgitating stuff, that negative things they've heard about math almost to make themselves feel better that they don't want to try or they're not good at this? Yeah, and it's, it may not always be negative things. It mm -hmm. may be positive things that they've heard teachers say that I'm sure teachers meant in the best way, yeah. but didn't come across as making them feel better. So for example, yeah. when you say, 
when you tell a child, wow, you are so good at math. There are other children around that one child hearing that and they, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to hear that. But if you don't hear that said to you and even the child that it's been said to, it can be detrimental because that gives them the notion that you're good at math or you're not good at math. This one child has been placed into the category of they're good at math. I don't know how they got there. I don't know what they did. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like, but they're good at math. And it's really, it's that language that we, and I say we because I know that I have done it before and I have seen other teachers do it as well. But it's that language that we put on children. We almost pressure them into fulfilling what we think they are. And so when we say stuff like you're good at this or you're smart, it's really putting a lot of pressure on them to fulfill that idea in our head. And it's also not making it clear what that means because you can say over and over again, like you're good at this, but they don't, they don't know what that means. Like, yeah, you can Mm. be good at something, but it's not highlighting what's important. It's highlighting the end zone almost like how they got there, but it's not highlighting all the work that they did to get there. Mm. And I think we need to put more, I think I need to put more emphasis on what it takes to get there. That's an interesting concept. Um, and I, I think you're hundred percent right. And you know, part of the reason I think it's interesting is kind of as you're explaining the difference of you're so smart or, you know, I love the work that you're doing. I think we all probably remember being in school, whether that's, you know, maybe you don't have the best memory, you know, remember high school, but I, you know, I can remember uh, middle school and even third and fourth grade. I mean, it gets kind of fuzzy in there, but I, you know, I can remember sitting there working on my own work and hearing, you know, one of my teachers say, oh, you know, so-and-so, you're so smart. And instantly that, you know, competitiveness kind of kicks in or it's like, oh, well, maybe they're just smarter than me. That's why I don't understand this. Um, So I think you're right of, you know, as much as we like to say that we're helping students that, you know, there is a level of how communication plays into this anxiety. And that's something, um, that's a piece of this I didn't think we were going to hit on. Um, when we started this, this math anxiety concept. Yeah. And I, when you said that, that how it brings out the competitive nature, like you hear someone being called smart and you're like, well, how are they smart, but I'm not. So how do I become smart? Like that? Are they like born smart? How does that become a thing? And I think I'm glad that you said that because I really like that. That's interesting. And it's, it ties into a lot of what one of my favorite professors from both undergrad and graduate school at NC State said. She, she really focused on how math is a language. Mm. And the language we use around math is very important too. But when you're teaching math, you have to be very careful with your language and what you use. Same as is not the same thing as same value as. You can have an elephant and then you can have a ton of brooks a ton of bricks and maybe they're the same weight so you have the same value but they're not the same thing so 
language and math is so, so important, but also the language surrounding math. What we tell children when they are making an effort in math is so, so important. And we just have to be very careful about how we approach children when we are talking about math. That's, you know, that's one thing I've, I've never even remotely considered when it comes to math. Part of the reason I love math is when you get done with it, there's a right or wrong answer. Um, that's part of the reason I hate English. I hate writing and reading because there's so many different rules and I can never remember if it's I before E except after C or is it E before I. I just, it, there's just too much rattling around in my brain. But with math, um, you know, one plus one, you get done is two. You know that because you can check your work, you can you know, add it up on your fingers, you can draw lines, number lines, whatever. Um, but that's a fascinating concept of, you know, like I said, the reason I love math is it is so black and white and there is a right and wrong answer. But this concept that you're incorporating in your classroom of really being intentional of, you know, around the language of math, that's something that's, that's fascinating. Um, you know, I remember being in math class and the teacher walking around checking work. Okay, that's right or wrong. And to me, as somebody that liked math, I liked that feedback. But when you're dealing with students that might not like math, putting an emphasis around this communication, like you said, around this language of math, that's got to be super important when it comes to dealing with students that don't love math. Yes, yes. And I have seen those students who maybe for a while they've only heard other students being called smart. And then when I tell them like, wow, you put a lot of good effort into this, they kind of like light up and they're like, so I can like, I can be good at math and how much effort I put into it. That matters. Like it's not mm -hmm. just being good at math, not being good at math. It's the practice. It's the effort. It's, how much they are willing to try and just really opening up. It's like opening up a door. You just have to really be transparent to them and make them the owners of their learning. And once mm -hmm. you kind of make that shift and be like, this is what you're doing well, this is what we want to improve on. Once they're aware of that, they're like, okay, I see where I'm growing. I see what I've done well. And I see what I need to improve on. Six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old Scott would have loved to hear, hey, you're good at this. It just kind of will reinforce that, you know, I like what I'm doing. I got the answer right. All right, cool. Let's move on. But, you know, to your point, six, seven, eight-year-old Scott was probably not, you know, mentally mature enough to figure out why I was being told that I was good at this or how I got to this point. So how do you start changing um, the language in your classroom to make sure that positive language to really combat some of these math anxieties are a focus in your classroom? Right. So it's when you hear that you're good, it's not transparent enough to understand. It's not, this is what you did well. It's you did good. Good job. Mm. <laughs> You're there. You're done pretty much. You don't need to do anything else. But when you transition to 
making it more of a conversation and almost putting them in the driver's seat, the student in the driver's seat, you can say, this is what you did well, and this is how you can improve. And let's have a conversation about what you understand and what you don't understand, because it's okay to not understand a lot right now. And I want to know what you don't know so that I can better help you. So really just shifting from, and it's easy, like as a teacher, it's easy to say, good job. And then that's all you have to say, because lots of times we don't have the time for it. But written feedback, spoken feedback, even if it's just like a quick, like, hey, I love how you did this. This is great. Do this again next time. Or I want to see more of this. This is really good. I love how you labeled this. Really specifically focusing in on and then pointing their attention to what they did well is giving them more ownership of their learning. We've done a number of podcasts with teachers and I've heard this concept of being transparent a number of times. Um, but normally when I think of transparency, I think of negative feedback and this concept of being transparent with the feedback with the kids that are also getting the answers right, I think is an interesting concept. And to your point of, you know, you got the answer right but this is why you got it right. This is the process that got you to the point where you got the right answer. And part of the reason I love math is it is because it's so black and white, um, you know, right or wrong. You know, you, you plug your answer back into the equation. If it's wrong, you're not going to get the right answer. But reinforcing this with this transparent language and not having it be, it's right, good job but really enforcing why they got it right, why their process was right. That's got to that's gotta work at a level where you are enforcing, reinforcing to them that they got the answer right, but also building their confidence. And I, I think we can probably both agree that confidence is a huge step in getting over some of these math anxieties. Oh, yeah. And it's what you said about putting it into the equation, double-checking it, making sure it's right, it's black and white made me think of how if you give them that specific feedback and you tell them this is what you did really well and I love how you did this or this is where I see that you could improve really kind of transitions the focus from the teacher to the student so like they I'm giving them the I'm putting them in the driver's seat and I'm saying, this is what I see. Mm -hmm. This is what I see that you can prove. This is what I see that you did well. And so then when they get to those algebra equations, calculus, all that, and they don't get the right answer, then they can say, okay, I need to, it's my turn. Like I need to go back. I need to check my work. I need to see what I did well and what I didn't do well and how I got it wrong. And when you give them that responsibility at such a young age and they practice it for so long and they start to see that they are really the ones who are making sure that they are 
learning what they need to be learning, then when they get to those more challenging levels of math, calculus, pre-calc, algebra, they have more confidence in themselves because they understand that they are the ones who will ensure that they succeed. The teacher's gonna do all the help that they can, but ultimately it is up to them. And this transparency in language is something that I absolutely love, especially around the concept of math. Um, but to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, it allows them to think in a visible mindset where you're not just thinking four plus four is eight because I memorized that, but you're encouraging them to, with this transparency, putting them in the driver's seat, you're encouraging them to think in a way where they're actually solving this and not just memorizing it. How important is it for this math anxiety to take a step back and say, okay, let's think about this from a, a, a standpoint of visualization and really move forward to fully solve the problem, not just get the answer right. Right. And it's, I love that you said that it's an emphasis on visibility that we need to see because it literally starts in kindergarten when mm. math is visible and it's not just in your head with subitizing you show three dots on a card for one to two seconds and they have to be able to see the number they don't count the number they don't go one two three because they can only see it for like one second so being able to count quickly see numbers not just count them starts that early it starts at the very beginning of education and it continues to build on that you make your thinking visible you make it easier on your brain that's what i tell them like you don't want to try to do it all in your brain because if you do numbers get jumbled it happens to me all the time i'm in the grocery store trying to figure out which is a better buy i pull out my calculator because my brain can't handle all those numbers and i tell them to do the same make it visible make it easier on yourself. And, you know, we, it's when you're in the math world and we're talking with math teachers, making it visible um, is probably a pretty common term, but to those that are, you know, newer teachers or want to incorporate some of this into their classroom, what does making it visible mean? That's a great question. So it's everything that they're trying to do in their head putting it on paper and it can just be as simple as writing down the number that's in their head or drawing because for our that you know lower elementary they draw for example for the number four they draw the circle four circles um and eventually in upper elementary they'll get to the stage where they already know what four is and they don't need to represent it they don't need that concrete or abstract representation symbolic i'm sorry symbolic representation the number is abstract um anymore they understand automatically they know what the value of four is and they can just write the digit so it depends on what level you're at but it's putting their thinking on paper so that it takes everything out of their brain 
and makes it easier for them with it all on paper. They can see the numbers, they can see what they're trying to do. Everything is labeled. Like I said earlier, if someone were to look at it and try to understand what they were doing, they would be able to understand it completely. And, you know, I remember being in middle school or high school math and, you know, constantly hearing my math teacher over and over say, make sure you check your work, check your work, check your work. Um, but making sure that this is a visual mindset and everything is on paper um, allows them to really go back and check the work. You know, if there is something wrong, there's a process written down that you can go back and find the mistake. Um, you know, like we talked about confidence is repetition. That's got to, you know, I, I picture math anxiety as something to kind of combat this. It's, it's not a one-time exercise that we work on Tuesday. It's a lot of different things that, you know, a little bit helps it here and a little bit helps it here and a little bit helps it here. Having this, um, this visible mindset has got to be another, you know, just kind of tool in the tool chest to kind of work through some of these, these math anxieties. Yes. Yeah. And then really being able to, if you put it on paper and you make it visible, but then also being able to talk through it, to use that accurate language and tell someone what you are doing is a huge thing. And if a student can do that and understand what they're saying, then that takes them to a whole nother level. And that's why we practice so much putting one student's thinking up on the board for everyone to see and then someone else explaining what they did using accurate language that is huge because if you can understand and you can explain what someone else is doing and put it in your own thinking then that takes you to a whole nother level and using that language is a bridge from putting it having it in your head to putting it out there and understanding it on a whole nother level. That is fascinating. And, you know, as we were kind of workshopping the idea of uh, math anxiety for an episode, um, you know, I, I knew it was going to be, you know, kind of an in-depth approach of how you kind of combat some of these uh, math anxieties in the classroom, but it's it's really refreshing to hear just how in depth this process is, and it's not just one thing. It is, you know, the right language that you're communicating with your students and encouraging your students to communicate with each other. It's you know, showing that making mistakes are okay and making this process a visual process. So, thank you, Taylor. This is something that, um, like I said, this is a topic that I was excited to cover, and I think. Um, you know, based on some of the things we've talked about that you do in your classroom, I think this is something that is, it, it, it can, it can be applied to a lot of classrooms, which I think is pretty cool. So thank you for, you know, kind of taking us into your classroom and kind of walking us through some of this. 